Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Evan, and I'm one of the ministers here at Bethany. And would you define yourself as like a predictable person? Are you are you predictable? Or are you maybe you're just like a routine person? I, I I'm not necessarily predictable, but I'm definitely routine. Uh, a typical routine day for me is something like this: I wake up, I sit up on the the edge of the bed. Then I go and visit the commode, um, I, uh, I eat some breakfast, and then I head back into my room to get ready for the day, and I always turn on the news while I'm getting ready. It's become my routine, and as it has, um, well, it's also become routine for me to, to hear the news, and it's become routine to become accustomed to hearing all these problems, and then kind of having this, this apathetical response and just kind of saying, well, they're not my problems and moving on with my day. You know, two months ago, I woke up on a Monday morning. Uh, we had just celebrated the opening of the campus in Vincennes and had a lot of committed people that had helped to make that successful. And uh, I was just, I was on like cloud nine, so excited about what had happened the day before. And Monday came around and I did my Monday routine, got out of bed, went to the restroom, went to, to uh, start get dressed for the day, flip on the news, and I heard this horrific news about three churches that were bombed in Sri Lanka. Uh, churches where people, just like you and I, I showed up to worship on Easter Sunday only to find that suicide bombers came in in the middle of their service, and bombs strapped to their chests with the goal to do as much destruction and cause as much death as possible. 290 people died that day, and 500 were injured. Now, I'll be honest. Here I was, like half-dressed, kind of half paying attention to the news. But in that moment, I stopped for a second. I looked up at the television screen, similar images that I've become accustomed to, scrolled across the screen, shaky footage of some rubble, uh, injured people, and foreign authorities running around trying to give as much medical help as they can. Then they would cut back to the talking heads that would fill in the missing details. As I stood there for a second, for, for a moment, my heart broke for these people. and broke for this situation. I thought about the excitement that I had just experienced as a part of uh, the team uh, in Vincennes. And, and I was so excited about what had taken place. And then I thought about you know, the sorrow that had happened there. And then I put my shirt on, tied my shoes, and went on with my day. What's wrong with me? I mean, what is wrong with me? Come on, why, why, didn't I, why didn't I break down in tears? There were 800 plus people affected by this, 290 dead. Why didn't I cry for those brothers and sisters in Christ? Why didn't I, I get down on my knees and start praying for these churches and praying that God would be there in the midst of their need? Why didn't I, I do anything? And the truth is, this is kind of the generation that we are becoming. We're becoming apathetic to the news of destruction and hurt that's in our it's in our world. Actually, some people refer to my generation as just that, the apathetic generation. I'm a part of a generation of people that have gotten to the place where we hear of awful things like this and we just simply go, hmm, that stinks. And then we move on with our day. Jack Johnson, who's a secular music artist, wrote about this in a song he entitled News. He said, a billion people died on the news tonight, but not so many cried at the terrible sight. How is it that we've, you know, it's become like commonplace in our world just to, to hear of the pain, to hear of the sorrow, to hear of the brokenness, and just to, to not care, to not have any compassion, to not have any interest in what's going on, to not have any sorrow. 
And Jesus spoke directly to a situation like this in, in the Word. It's in Luke chapter 10. I want you to turn there this morning with us. It's on page 843 in the Bibles in front of you. I want to, I want to give you some background to that story as you get over there in Luke chapter 10. So go ahead and, and find that. And as you do, let me tell you this. Jesus is in the process of shaking up the religious community of that day. He's gaining more and more of a following, and the religious leaders are, well, the religious leaders aren't really sure what they think of the attention that he's receiving. So they're beginning to try to find uh, Jesus in some sort of conundrum, to, to catch him doing something that will, uh, well, that, that will be able to be used to incriminate him. They're beginning to nitpick him. They're trying to find words that they can twist and cause a story and cause trouble for him. Just, just a side note here. If you think you're ever going to outthink God, uh, you're not going to. All right, He's the one that gave you the ability to, to think. And God actually says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And God's ways are better than our ways. Anyway, the, the, the Pharisees, the Pharisees, they were stupid enough to think they could. That he could somehow outflank the Son of God. But Christ has, Christ has always got this uncanny ability to pour out truth and in the same breath to, to give himself another, another uh, chance for another day of life. He knew exactly when he needed to go to the cross, and he knew the words to share with those people. So here, here's the situation unfolds. This, this lawyer, um, this teacher of the law, the guy that knew God's word comes to Jesus and he says this in Luke 10. We're going to read this whole story in chapter 10, verse 25. It goes like this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And the parable of the Good Samaritan has much to teach us. But it's clear that Christ is speaking towards this. He's speaking towards this apathetic mentality of the religious elite. And there's this, this undertone that, that is being seen of these people that they're just trying to do just enough. You catch the question at the very initial, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, tell me just enough. What do I have to do? Just, I just want to do just enough to get, in, get into heaven. What must I, I do? Which is interesting that, that Jesus' reply doesn't have anything to do with belief, repentance, or baptism. 
Instead, it has everything to do with the two greatest commandments. Now, the two greatest commandments are the law. The whole law hinges on these two greatest commandments, right? Love God, love others. Love God and love others. If you, if you can perfectly love God and you can perfectly love others, then guess what? You're in good shape, right? You, you're going to inherit eternal life. However, uh, none of you can perfectly love God and perfectly love others. Only Christ did that. So that's where, right, that's where belief and repentance and baptism comes into play. Okay, then that, that means that if, if Jesus has paid the, the full thing, that he has fulfilled the law, he's fulfilled the law of the perfect love, then we don't have to do anything, right? Ah, there it is again, right? That's the apathetic nature. Like, oh, he, he finished the work, so I don't have to do anything. No, no, that, that doesn't make any sense. If, if Christ is our greatest hero, if he finished the work in perfection for us, then wouldn't we want to honor that? Wouldn't we want to do things that bring honor and glory to him? Wouldn't we want to follow Christ? You see, the call of a follower of Christ is to do just that, to follow Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 puts it like this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And then when you choose to follow Christ... Man, you choose to be the change that this, this world needs. So why is it then that we don't care the way Jesus cared? You guys remember the old slogan, WWJD, that acronym that said for what would Jesus do? And people wear it on their wrist or have it on a t-shirt. What would Jesus do? Why do we have this attitude of, hmm, that stinks. How is it that, that we can see people's problems and we can just cross by on the other side of the street? And how is it that we can hear about the pain and we can just let it go in one ear and out the other? How, how is it that, that we can act as if we've never even seen it in the first place? Why is it that we don't care like Jesus? Here's what I think. I think the sheer volume of problems is crippling. All right? You get this. One quick glance at your social media posts, and, and you'll hear about right natural disaster states away. You're going to hear about a GoFundMe page. Somebody set up a GoFundMe page because their, their friend has went through a difficulty. The cancer's back, and they're needing help to, to pay for their medical needs. There's another car bomb that has went off in the Middle East. Politicians are doing what politicians do best, right? They're tearing each other down. An animal activist is telling you you need to take in another stray dog. Fifteen isn't enough, all right? And uh, a friend that feels like no one is listening to them, though they're posting on their, their feed, would you just like or comment so that I know somebody is reading my post? Or turn on the news in the morning like I do. Man, this past week I turned it on. In 10 minutes' time, I had heard about first responders that weren't receiving medical need um, or medical help uh, in their medical need. I heard, I heard about a father who murdered his five children and left his wife alive so that she would have to deal with the pain and sorrow of losing her kids. I heard of another state passing another law against the sanctity of life so that children could be aborted in late term. Can we all agree? Can we all agree on this? Our world is a... It's a mess, isn't it? Our world is full of problems. Our world is full of pain. And I think sometimes the sheer volume of problems just kind of like freezes us in our seats. We don't know where to start, and we don't think we can make a difference. We don't believe we can make a difference. And well, you're right. You can't make a difference in all the world's problems, but guess what? You can make a difference in some of the world's problems. 
But I get it. Life's busy, isn't it? I mean, come on, you, you, you're moving like a million miles per hour. Life is coming at you. It seems like one thing after the next. You're thinking, look, I am just trying to potty train my two-year-old. Potty training two-year-olds hard right now. We had a celebration because our kid peed outside like a true man yesterday. I uh, love it. Uh, and uh, it's, it's such an exciting time. My wife came back in. She said, he peed outside. I'm so excited. Uh, some of you are like, man, my schedule's so full. I can barely cut the grass. I haven't cut it in two days. It's three feet tall, right? And because of all the rain we've gotten. You say, I, I, can't, I can't, well, I can't keep up with the kid's schedule. My work is calling for all my, my hours. Have you seen my house lately? I've got all these projects. I've got so much on my own plate. I can't even begin to think about making a difference in other people's lives. You know, around here, we believe that fully devoted followers of Christ are difference makers. We believe that if you know God, and that you allow him to transform your life, that the word tells us then you become a difference maker. And Christ is in the business of using ordinary, common people to do extraordinary things in the lives of those whom they have influence on. As Captain Jack Sparrow, you heard that, right, says, he says, the problem isn't the problem. The problem is your attitude about the problem, which is where comfort comes in. When you're comfortable, you're not comforting, right? It's like we're blessed and we're cursed with this idea of comfort. Think about it like this. Man, you hop on your phone, hop on Amazon. You can order about anything you could ever think of on Amazon, and it could be delivered to your house in one day. How dare it take three days to get to your house, right? That's what we think. Or some, some of you are going to go out to a fast food restaurant, Father's Day, you're getting fast food today, guys, right? And you're going to go through that fast food restaurant line, and you're going to say, this is what I want, and if it takes more than five minutes, you're going to be upset about it. Or you can go home, and you can hit a couple uh, buttons on your TV, and you can pull up a, a, a million different movie options, and uh, you can hit play, and if it takes more than 10 seconds of buffering, you're frustrated, right? Because we like to be comfortable, Satan knows this about us. He knows that we like to be comfortable, so I think he tries to make us as comfortable as we can. It's the same reason why, like, I sit down on the couch, I have a, a drink in my hand or a snack, and I'm going to watch the ball game, and I just get comfortable, and my wife goes, hey, would you come here real quick? I have something to show you. I'm like, ah, oh, come on, right? Because I, I want to be comfortable. I, I want to just enjoy, right? Apathy is the glove of which evil slips its hand into right? And we can easily buy into the scheme of the adversary and just sink into this pit of comfortability and apathy. It's been said, hate is not the opposite of love. Apathy is. So if the sheer volume of problems or the lie that we can't make a difference or this comfortability of comfort are the things that hold us back from caring like Christ, then how can we move from the idea of, huh, to no, 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 not on my watch, Look back at this interaction that Jesus has here in the story of the Good Samaritan. And if, if you're, if you're going to have, if you're going to move from apathy to urgency, here's what you need. You need to find your focus. Yeah, someone can't change all the world's problems, but a world of problems can be changed by someone. The sheer volume of problems can be crippling, but also a problem can inspire. Inspire you to, to make a difference. You may not be able to fix every problem, but you know what? You can fix some problems. Throughout the scripture, and specifically throughout the New Testament, Christians are, are told by God that you are given different gifts and different um, spiritual talents to make a difference in this world. Look, I am different than you, and you are different than me. 
Actually, why don't you do this across both of our campuses? Why don't you just look to the person beside you right now? Go ahead and look to them. If you don't know who they are, shake their hand and introduce yourself. Go ahead. Come on. Go ahead. Tell them who you are. Hi. Now look them in the eye. I don't want you to tell them this as you introduce yourself to them. Look them in the eye and say this. I am different than you. Go ahead. I am different than you. All right. You know you are. You are different than one another. You look different. You act different. You wear different clothes. You have different things you're passionate about. God has uniquely gifted the body of Christ with eternal purpose. So here's the deal. There are all kinds of ministries that need to happen through this this place and through the body of Christ. For some of you, your heart breaks for overseas missions. Like, that's just your passion. So you, you financially support missions outside of this place. Or, or maybe for you, you, you look at opportunities to go on small or short-term mission trips over, overseas. Maybe someday you're going to find yourself on the mission field, and you're going to be working alongside natives to see to it that Christ is lifted high and more people come to know Jesus. You know, for some of you, your heart breaks for the orphan. And you know what your ministry is going to look like? It's going to look like fostering or adoption. Can I tell you this? Stop waiting around. Obey that call. Go do what Christ is calling in your life, that passion, that thing that makes you, your, your heart beat. Go adopt a child. Go, go take those classes for the fostering program. For some of you, you have this great burden for disaster relief. Like you see a news story and you hear about this town and all the destruction that's happened because of a tornado, or you hear about a hurricane hitting the coast again, and your heart is just like, man, I got to get there. I want to help. And uh, maybe you're going to partner up with a guy like Scott Shipman, whose heart beats for that at Helping His Hands, a ministry that we support here as a church. And you're going to go on one of these trips just to help people in their dire need after a natural disaster. For some of you, it's addiction. Like addiction has long cursed your family, but you found Jesus, and in the process, you found sobriety because of Christ. You've recognized that he's the thing that brings fulfillment, and now you have this great passion to help others whom you know walk out of the life of addiction and come to know Christ, the one thing that truly can fulfill them. Maybe for you, you have this this desire to give care and compassion to families who have people struggling with long-term illnesses or somebody's been diagnosed with a terminal cancer and you're just like, man, I just like to be compassionate to them. And so I'm going to help them out, maybe taking meals to them or supporting them and encouraging them. Uh, just being there, being a, the ministry of presence, right? Just being in their presence, uh, helping them, being a listening ear, somebody, a sounding board for them. Or maybe you have this passion for ministry to children or teens. And for you, it's like, hey, I, I need to go back and get my degree in teaching. Or maybe I need to become a youth leader here at the church and be, be able to support and encourage the teens or the children here in this ministry. Maybe you're going to be a coach or a mentor who points young lives to the giver of life. See, here's the challenge. Here's my challenge to you today. Find the ministry that makes your heart beat. The thing that wakes you up in the morning, you get excited about. Many things will catch your attention few things will capture your heart, right? Many things are going to capture your attention. A few things will capture your heart. As long as your passion is seen through the lens of verses 27 and 28, to love God and to love others, which if you're doing something for others that's bringing betterment to them, then you're in the right, right place. As long as it's seen through that lens, man, go for it. Find the thing you're passionate about and do it. And you'll have an eternal impact. And in the process of doing your passion, you're going to probably find your purpose in life. But don't forget flexibility along the way. 
Look back at verse 29, right? Here's the story, the Samaritan, uh, the, the story of this good Samaritan. The, the man's been robbed, right? He's, he's the neighbor. Um, and then uh, verse 31 of our story, it says this. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him and passed by on the other side. Now, there are some details shared in this passage that are especially interesting. First is this, that the, the, the road, the journey from Jericho to Jerusalem was a common journey, all right? So, so Jericho um, was, was, it wasn't a, a far trek. It was one that could be done by foot um, pretty, pretty easily. It was down some rocky Pass and well, what was happening is these robbers were hanging out in these hills or these under under rock or beside rocks, and they would they would jump out and they would they would rob people. It was actually called uh, the the way of blood was sometimes what it was referred to. So when Jesus starts to tell this story about going from Jericho to Jerusalem, uh, because people did that when they were headed off to the temple in Jerusalem, these people are like, yeah, I get this, like that. That place, like, that's the hood, right? That's what they're thinking, right? That's the hood, and, you know, that's rough. That's rough stuff right there. And so there, there's this quick thought, but, but here's the, the detail that's not shared necessarily. It's believed that almost oftentimes it was the robber who was the Samaritan in the story. Here's where Jesus gets a little bit different, right? He flips the script on the story, right? Man's beaten, robbed, Right? priest goes by, the Levite goes by, the Samaritan comes, the Samaritan comes to the rescue, right? It was usually, well, it was usually the opposite way around. The, the Samaritan was the robber. Why did Jesus do this? Well, he knew he could reach the guy right here with a typical story, right? Yeah, you need to meet a need. So-and-so's been hurt, and the Samaritan walks by, and then the priest comes and helps. He could have used that. He would have still got the, the idea of helping somebody across but he wanted to take it from here to, to here. He wanted the, the man that day to realize that, that maybe, maybe his guy in the pit, maybe that's the Samaritan for him. So he flips the script. Now, I want to give you, uh, I want to give, give the priest and the Levite the benefit of the story, right? Like, I, I want to I give them the benefit of the doubt. The, the priest was likely on his way to perform some duties at the temple, just like a preacher, on his way maybe to preach a message. I was thinking about this this morning as I headed over from Vincennes, and I was driving down the road, and I thought, if somebody was in need right now, would I stop and help them? I mean, i got to get to the church. There's, well, there's going to be a 1,000 people that are going to hear a message this, this morning that I've been preparing. Like, i got to get there, right? I'm, I'm starting to think like the priest was. The priest would have went through a seven-day cleansing ritual on that day. I did take a shower last night. Um, just want you all to know that. I'm cleaned up. I got some cologne and deodorant on. Uh, hopefully it's working. All right. Uh, uh, but the priest actually went through a seven-day ritual of cleansing. And so if he went and helped this robber on the road and the robber happened to die, well, he would have been considered unclean. He couldn't have performed his his duty, his task. So maybe that's why he walked by. And then the Levite, well, the Levite would have been like the guy that did the task, had, had the responsibilities outside of the temple courts. And he may have just been like, I'm following my leader. The priest walked by, I'm walking by too. I'm not quite sure. But by walking by this injured man, both of the men are missing out on what God truly wanted for them. If I'm so focused on my passion, if I, if I just focus in on what God has called me to do, that means I don't have to deal with the world's problems. There it is again, right? Like the things that will just stop me in my tracks. That's the apathetic nature. Like, I've got a passion. Sorry, I'm not dealing with that, right? I'm just going to keep on walking forward. Let me tell you this. 
people always come before projects. And we have to learn to be flexible in Christ so that we can step into situations when they present themselves. That there are going to be urgent situations that we need to say, I can't wait. i got to stop right now and help them. Look, I don't know what was going on in the Samaritan's life, but I can tell you this. It inconvenienced him to stop, right? Remember, we like being comfortable, but ministry then calls us out of our comfort. Aaron Brockett, who is a minister up at Traders Point in Indianapolis, said we have to ask ourselves these three questions when we come to situations like this. The first question is this, am I afraid? Now, if the priest and the Levite were here today, I think they would make that good case for their argument, like had good intentions of helping the guy. Maybe they would say something like this, but then I remembered, I'm in the hood, right? <laughs> I'm in the hood, like, you don't stop in the hood. You guys have been here before. I know some of you are like, yeah, I know what it's like. I'm downtown Indianapolis, and there's that one area you don't stop, right? You just like hit the gas pedal, don't look at anybody cross-eyed or you're in trouble, right? You're like, I, I couldn't stop for somebody. I'm in the hood, right? So he, they could have probably easily thought, man, if I stop, what if the robber comes back out, gets me, takes me for all I have, right? They're, they're afraid, or maybe they're afraid, like, dude, this is just a messy situation. That guy's rough right now, and man, he's just going to cause me more problems, and I can give him answers to. Let me tell you this. Those situations that we make those types of excuses for that we may be afraid of, you know what Jesus would say? I'd be smack dab in the middle of that. He'd say, I'm going to help. I'm going to figure out a way to see to it that they are taken care of. Second question we need to ask ourselves is this. Am I distracted? Right? Maybe the priest and the Levite used the argument that we talked about of like, had good intentions, but I had important things to do, right? Godly things to do. They're like, hey, you know, if, if God were talking to you today, would you be able to hear him amidst your busyness? Is it time for us to start stepping away from good things in order to do great things? You ever thought about it like that? Like, I know how it is, right? One thing after the next, after the next, after the next. I think we could all learn from decluttering our life a little bit. Like, we don't have to have every minute scheduled. We don't have to have every moment locked in where we have something to do. It's all right to have some free time. You know what it gives us? It gives us the ability to be more flexible so that we can meet the needs of those around us. And then the final question we have to ask ourselves, the third question is this, do I really care? That's a scary question, isn't it? Do I really care? Hmm. I'm not convinced that the guys didn't care that day. You know, mama always said the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. I can only imagine that the Samaritan, as he was walking by, was thinking, oh man, that looks rough. I sure wish somebody would stop for me if I was in that situation. So he goes over and he helps. But there's an even better rule than the, the golden rule. Some people refer to it as the platinum rule. It's found in Ephesians 4. It goes like this. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ God forgave you. Do unto others as Christ would do to you. So if Christ would care for them, then we should care for them. That means we need to stop putting off the need. We need to recognize an urgency to see these things around us and to stop. And the final thing is this. You've got to fulfill. God will fix. Look, Christ knew, right? Christ knew that the Samaritan of the story was usually the robber. He knew that the teacher of the law, they didn't care for the Samaritan. The Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. So they, 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 were, they were like Democrat and Republican of today, right? They didn't like each other. 
And so he, he knew that this, this situation of despising one another was, was taking place. And then look back at verse 33 as it says this. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. He's the hero, right? And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, catch that. He, he wasn't even willing to say the Samaritan. He's like, the one who had mercy on him, right? And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. The teacher of the law's neighbor was the Samaritan. And guess what? Sometimes God is calling you to love some people that you don't really like. Like, who's your Samaritan? Is it that specific coworker? You know who I'm talking about, Right? Is it a certain people group? Is it somebody with a certain political agenda? Is it a frustrating family member? Is it literally your next door neighbor, right? God is not always calling us to, to make it our responsibility to fix all the problems, but he is calling it our responsibility to meet needs of others and to, to fulfill the call to, to love another person. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor? Mean it. Which of the three do you think was the neighbor, right? It's the one who had mercy. So here's the challenge for you this week. It's to, to see the needs and meet the needs. Like, I, I think God is preparing situations for each and every one of us. I'll be quite honest. I wrote this message, uh, and I was finished up writing Thursday afternoon, and I kid you not, at least multiple times a day, I had situations that I'm like, that's my... That's my story. I got I to gotta step into it. Am I going to stop here? Am I going to just have this conversation? Or am I just going to keep on walking forward? Am I going to love that person? Am I going to ask that person? I, I stopped yesterday, a gal walking home with her laundry on the roadside. Can I help you? Give you a ride? She told me no. But I, at least I, I, brought, I, 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 I was willing to step out of that. I think there are some situations for you. I think there are some situations for you that you just need to say, I got to stop. I'm going to do something. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to pray a prayer that was written long ago, but it's a prayer for you this week. So would you bow your heads with me? It says, may God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice and oppression and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice and freedom and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain with joy, to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world, because you can make a difference, so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Amen. You know, the parable of the Good Samaritan teaches us that something has to be done. Like, we can't sit back on our heels. We can't come to these situations with that hmm, mentality. We've got to start meeting needs. But understand this. As you read the story of the Good Samaritan, it's, it's not just a parable that teaches us to be nice to each other. It's the parable of the gospel, right? Because guess what? Jesus is the Samaritan. And guess what? He chose to come down our path of destruction and pain. Jesus saw you lying in the ditch, bleeding out, and guess what? He, he didn't walk by on the other side. No, quite the opposite. He knew it was going to cost him a lot. He knew it was going to be dangerous. Jesus knew he had to go out of the way. Jesus knew that we were going to be a mess. 
He knew it was going to take a lot of work. And Jesus stopped. And now he's opened up this account with God. And he says, oh, by the way, if you need any additional grace, just go ahead and charge it to my account. That's the parable. And that's our hope. And if you've made Christ your living hope, go and do likewise. And if you haven't, whether or not you realize this just yet, you're lying in a ditch. And you're on a path towards destruction. And someday you will stand before God and he'll ask, did you live it out perfectly? Did you love God and love others perfectly? And you'll be able to say, no, I did not. Or you can allow yourself to be brought up by the hand of Christ and allow him to pour mercy out on you and you can trust him with your salvation because he lived it out perfectly by loving us and loving God.